Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, sponsored by ACR, America's Card Room, where beginning at the end of this month, you can enter one of the biggest online poker tournaments in the whole world, the Venom, and the Venom has a $10 million guarantee for a $2,650 buy-in. Satellites for this event are running round the clock as we speak, so if you are not yet on America's Card Room, click the link in the description of this podcast and join using the promo code TPE and you can receive a first-time deposit bonus up to $2,000, 100% of your deposit all the way up to 2 k My name is Clayton Fletcher and I'm your host in rainy, cold, miserable New York City <laughs> where I am keeping myself extremely busy with a wide range of projects that are all making me have deep, and heartfelt FOMO for everyone who is currently on his or her way to the Bahamas for the PCA. But I had to prioritize my life and get everything in order. I have a book that I'm working on. I have a number of stand-up comedy engagements coming up that I need to prepare for. So you will be in the uh, sun having fun in the Bahamas without yours truly I want to start off this episode by reading a tweet from a listener named Cornbread FL. I don't know if his nickname is Cornbread or he lives in Florida or what the deal is there, but this is what he writes. Hi, Clayton. My goal for the year is 48 hours of poker study. Easy, assuming you achieve your podcast goal. All right, that's a great opening line right there because if you listen to any of the previous episodes from this year, I've been talking about my goals for 2023, which do include 48 brand new episodes just like this one that you are hearing now. Not to quibble with you, Cornbread FL, but these episodes are not one hour each. (laughs) Anyway, it says, love the podcast. Looking forward to catching a comedy show. Yeah, come on out, Cornbread FL. Love to see you in the crowd. Even though I'm a micro stakes donkey, I actually have a comment on the last hand in your most recent podcast. I certainly agree with your call of the Eastern European players bluff, but you described that as a very difficult spot. So for those who don't recall, last week we reviewed a hand that I played in sunny California back in November versus a player that I perceived to be of Russian origin who was bluffing us on the river. We held just ace-queen high on a board of, I don't remember exactly, something like Jack 10 seven deuce 10 so we missed everything and we ended up on the river with ace high and he fired a smallish one-third of the pot bet on the end and I felt that was a difficult spot just because it didn't feel very bluffy in terms of sizing and whether or not the river was a good scare card to try to get a bluff through I've been bluffed a lot in my career and that just did not feel like a spot especially live but I did make the call and found out that uh, ace high was better than nine high. 
Cornbread goes on, I thought it was a snap call, he says, because of the pot odds, of course, but also because in this instance, the turn and river cards were almost completely useless. I can hardly think of a hand they helped, ace-deuce. Therefore, he's probably ahead, only if he was ahead, after the flop, which seems very unlikely given his image and passive play. Maybe a small pocket pair would play this way, question mark. But there are dozens of missed straight and flush draws that he could bluff with, and you're beating everything but ace-king. Seems like an easy call to me. Cornbread FL, thank you so much for your tweet and your analysis. Uh, One point that you didn't make here, I think it's worth highlighting, is that very often when you are up against a wild, loose, aggressive opponent who seems to be trying to win every hand and always gets after it, when that player suddenly exhibits passive play, as our Russian foe did in this particular instance, you kind of have to take a step back and say, wait a minute, this guy is usually so aggressive and so dead set on asserting his dominance at all times that now he is playing passive. Often that can be a red flag. Many players are not good as being as aggressive with the nuts as they are without it. And so that was another cause for concern. It was also challenging for me to try to get a read on this player. I just didn't really have a sense of where I stood in that hand. But ultimately, given the fact that we both checked the turn and that the pot odds were simply irresistible on the end, and as as you pointed out as well, so many draws missed, I had to make the call. But I don't think it was quite as easy in real life as it seemed to you on paper, Cornbread FL. Thanks again for uh, writing. And if you want to also get in touch, you guys can tweet me at Clayton Comic on Twitter. If you happen to be a Twitter user and you're not following me, I really do appreciate it if you log in and go ahead and hit me up at Clayton Comic. I think you'll be glad you did. Uh, there was a Mike Possel sighting this week. You guys, you may have seen that Mike Possel, a known cheater, Uh, vindicated and unpunished, unconvicted, accused cheater Mike Possel made it to the final table at something called the Beau Rivage Million Dollar Heater main event. So this is a tournament series down there in, I want to say Biloxi, Mississippi. But yeah, somewhere down there in the deep south. I've been there before. I just can't remember exactly what town it's in. Tunica, I think it's in... Biloxi, a beautiful property, as I recall. So apparently they had a poker competition called the Million Dollar Heater. And our boy, Mike Possel, made it to the final table. Um, He got busted by a player named Brock Gary, who allegedly slow rolled him and afterwards said, that's for all the cheating you do. Possel entered this event trying desperately to stay under the radar He had a hooded sweatshirt, um, a face mask ostensibly to prevent or (laughs) curtail the transmission of the not-so-novel coronavirus. Uh, But yeah, actually, he was in disguise. He did not want to be recognized because he is literally one of the most hated people in the entire game. So he was trying to hide when he filled out his paperwork. He tried to use his first name, middle name, Mike Lawrence, as opposed to his first name, last name, Mike Possel. So anyway, he was spotted 
everyone confirmed that it was, in fact, the notorious Mr. Possel, who is alleged to have stolen some $250,000 from the poker community by nefarious means, allegedly. All right, allegedly. Anyway, uh, Possel got seventh in this tournament. He cashed for something like $40,000. And reading stories like this make me sick to my stomach. I don't want good things to ever happen to bad people. Uh, moving on, the Aussie Millions, which is an event that I always enjoyed attending out there in beautiful Melbourne, Australia, is apparently no more. Uh, it could very well be a thing of the past. Some of you may know that during the pandemic, there were some investigations into activities at the Crown Casino there in Melbourne, and some 39 findings against the same resulted in new restrictions to which its new owner, the Blackstone Property Group, must adhere. Blackstone, if that sounds familiar, you may be familiar with that company. They own so many properties around the world, including the Cosmopolitan on the Las Vegas Strip. Although the casino operations there are now being handled by MGM Resorts International, but I digress. Getting back to Australia, uh, there are now limits on the amount of cash that players can lose in a given day. Now, the, most of these restrictions are electronic in nature, how much money you're allowed to dump into a slot machine, <laughs> or as it's known in Australia, a pokey. I'm not sure why they call them pokies. I'm sure someone could edify me on that. Um, players are legally required to set their own loss limits in addition to the amount of cash you're able to lose in a 24-hour period on one of these pokies. Uh, it appears that the entire poker room at the Crown Casino is going to be replaced by more lucrative attractions such as roulette, blackjack, and, of course, more pokies. So that is very sad news. I have so many wonderful memories. Uh, the, the very first time I ever went to Australia, I probably told this story before on the podcast, but the short version is that I won a $30 satellite on good old cake poker that resulted in my traveling halfway around the world to play against Phil Ivey, Tom Dwan, <laughs> Patrick Antonius, and all of the other full tilt pros who at the time were very closely connected with the Aussie Millions, Gus Hansen, Andy Block. This was back in those days. And I was interviewed by Poker News. They had this really sweet, beautiful young reporter named Lynn who approached me and wanted to welcome me to Australia. And that was the like my welcome to, <laughs> to Melbourne was meeting Melbourne native Lynn Gilmartin, who, as you all know, is now the face of the World Poker Tour. So that was uh, a great experience for me. It was one of the first interviews I ever did as a poker player. I had a great time out there. I did not cash that year in the Aussie Millions main event, but I ended up doing comedy in Melbourne and discovering the city. And then after that, I didn't win any more satellites, but I would continue to go out there to not only compete in the Aussie Millions, but also to 
perform my stand-up comedy routine for very loud, very drunk, and very rowdy Australian locals. So that is very sad news. Um, I hope that there does come a time when the Aussie Millions can pick up where it left off, but that time does not seem to be anywhere near imminent. All right, let's talk about the tournament Poker Edge free roll on ACR this Sunday at 5 o'clock. 300 players will be vying for their share of a $1,000 guaranteed free roll prize pool. Okay, there's no buy-in for this tournament, but you do need the password, which we are not going to release on this episode of the podcast. What I want you guys to do is get on the Discord, where two or three hours before the event, which begins again this Sunday, January 22nd at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here in the States, New York City time, if you will. Uh, It's at 5 o'clock. So around 2 or 3 o'clock, we are going to give instructions on how to obtain the password for this week's free roll. And those instructions will be given in the Tournament Poker Edge Discord, which if you're not on there, get on there. There's a link in the description to this podcast where you can join the Discord and then you can get the information as soon as we release it. Now, why are we going through all of this? It's not because we want to make you guys jump through hoops. Last week, we reached the limit of 300 players and approximately 50% of those players were names that we did not recognize. They are not TPE members. They are not people that normally participate in the Killing Bird home game or have any other connection that we can tell to Tournament Poker Edge. And what all of these players had in common (laughs) is the part of the world from which they originated. And again, it's Russia. So we are uh, trying to find a way to have this free roll be for us, by us, with no outsiders. Now, that is a goal that we are almost definitely not going to ever be able to accomplish. These Russians are very clever when it comes to spy work, as you probably know. And some way, somehow, some way, they always manage to get the password. But we want you guys to have the password. So that's why on Sunday at around 2 or 3 o'clock, in the afternoon, Eastern Time, I want you guys to get on the Discord, and there we will give instructions on how you can obtain the password for the free roll. So we're hoping that anyone that is listening to this right now and is a fan of Tournament Poker Edge or of the podcast or whatever can actually participate if he or she wants to. So that's why we are jumping through hoops and asking you to do the same. Last Sunday's free roll was a lot of fun. I ended up getting fourth place myself. I mean, what if I would have won the free roll? That would have been, uh, you know, certainly they would have said I'm, I'm a shill and that I'm getting, I'm cheating and that I have a doom switch or whatever. But yeah, it was, it was a good time. The chat on uh, Killing Birds Twitch stream was very lively. Good vibes all around. By the way, shout out to my man, Derek Killing Bird Tenbush and give him a follow on Twitter at Derek Tenbush. Definitely want to make sure that you are subscribed to his Twitch stream. He'll let you know when that is up and running. He does Tuesdays and Sundays almost every single week. And it's a lot of fun. You can play along. You can watch Derek play. There's fun stuff in there. There's giveaways, like an extra bounty for me if you're in the Twitch chat and you happen to bust me out of the free roll. Stuff like that. So, yeah, get on there. 
It's a good time. Twitch.tv slash Killingbird. All right. So let's get to strategy. Uh, last Sunday, while playing the TPE free roll, I was also playing another tournament on ACR. It's a six max PKO with a $28 buy-in and a $10,000 guaranteed prize pool, which was eviscerated, absolutely obliterated, something like 16000 or whatever. Anyway, it's early on in this event. You start with 125,000 chips. Early on, the blinds were 500, 1,000 with a 150 ante. Remember, it's a six max event, and the action folds to me in the cutoff, and I've got the ace of hearts, eight of diamonds, and I have about 118,000 in my stack. Uh, you can fold. It's totally fine to fold. In fact, I think many solvers would probably put this right on the border between hands you should open from the cutoff and hands you should not. I decided to open, otherwise it wouldn't be much of a hand to discuss <laughs> on the on the podcast. Yeah, I laid it down. That's the end of that one. So yeah, I do open. Spoiler alert, we're going to continue here. Uh, there are a few reasons why. Number one, we're very deep. Every single player at the table has over 110 big blinds. So when you're deeper, you can play a few more hands because one of the reasons why you don't want to open marginal hands with too many players yet to act behind you is that those players can shove on you and when they do, you're going to have to throw your hand away, which you're going to be sad to do because your hand might have a, a good amount of equity and you'll never know because you're just forced to fold it every time because that's the play that loses the least money in the long run. Well, there's really no danger of anyone shoving 110 big blinds if we open to two big blinds. With so many chips in the effective stacks, we might have a little bit more wiggle room in the event of running into some heat here. So, I mean, obviously, we're not going to call a re-raise and another re-raise with Ace-8. But yeah, I mean, at a six-handed table, you might want to do it. Uh, I've also noticed that the player on my left is a known pro who is known to be tight. Um, his VPIP is about 18%. And so it's unlikely that he's going to enter the pot anyway. Effectively, this will often be the same as opening from the button. It's not exactly the same. Because, of course, if this guy plays 18% of the pots, he's going to find some hands to play, and he's probably going to three-bet me and put me in a really tough situation a lot of the time when that happens. But on balance, if you're really torn between opening a certain hand from the cutoff or not, considering how the button tends to play is one way to break that tie. So, yeah, I opened. I made it 2,500, so 2.5x. Now, the deeper my stack is, the bigger my opens tend to be. And again, there are a lot of reasons for that, but they mostly have to do with uh, not fearing pot commitment of any kind. So sometimes you get the advice where people will say, well, at a six-handed table, you should just pretend that you're at a full table and a bunch of people have folded to you already, like the first three players under the gun always fold. Um, and that works to some degree, but I like to go a little bit looser than that just because we do have to contend with the blinds and antes, and they will be coming around a lot faster than they would at a full ring table, obviously. So I think we need to get in there a little bit more than just that oversimplified advice that you may have heard at some point in your own poker career. Six max is not really the same as nine-handed where three have already folded. 
Anyway, we're on the border. I opened at 2,500, and only the big blind called. I don't have any reads on him. He's only played five hands at this table. By the way, it's pretty early in the tournament, so no, I don't have great reads on anyone other than the button, who, again, is a player that I've played with a lot. I have like 400 and some hands on him, as you will learn later on. So heads up, in position, with the Ace of Hearts, Eight of Diamonds, and with 6,400 in the middle, the flop comes Queen of Clubs, Six of Clubs, Five of Hearts. Queen, Six, Five with two clubs, and we don't have one. We have Ace, Eight, Offsuit. Villain checks. Uh, this is a pretty optional C-bet here. There are so many hands Villain can fold. Hands like King, Nine, King, Seven, Jack, Ten, Pocket Deuces. Lots of hands that shouldn't really continue to even a small bet. On the other hand, it is a somewhat coordinated board. There are a lot of hands that Villain can continue with, like any kind of draw. He could have a flush draw or a straight draw. He could have a pair between queens and sixes. He can have some mm -hmm. kind of gut shot. Like, like when I was first learning the game, they would tell us, well, if you see one high and two low cards, that's a good flop for a continuation bet. And just like so much advice that we got in the early 2000s as it relates to poker. That advice is oversimplified to the point where it's actually borderline useless. So yeah, this is one high and two low cards, but it's still somewhat coordinated, and I'm not really sure whether c-betting is a good idea, especially against an unknown opponent. I did c-bet. I decided to just give myself a good price. You know, I put in 1600 which is exactly... 25% of the pot, and villain calls. Uh, the turn comes the six of spades, which pairs the board. So now we have queen six, five six with two clubs. And now out of nowhere, villain donk leads 2,400 into the 9,600 pot. Now look, guys, I realize that when the board pairs on the turn, the out-of-position player theoretically has a range advantage all of a sudden because, let's face it, he's going to have a lot more sixes in the long run in his range than I will have in mine. However, I still think ace-high could be good a lot of the time. I don't know this opponent. I really don't have any reads on him. And I'm in position with ace-high, and I just felt like being stubborn, particularly in light of the pot odds. Again, I know we talk about pot odds quite a bit, on the podcast, especially lately, but it is important. He is betting 25% of the pot. Now, if you had a six and you suddenly picked up trips on the turn and you see all the possible draws out there, just like I can see looking at it, and you see that you have what's likely to be the best hand when you've got three of a kind, do you really bet 25% of the pot? I think most players get a little greedier than that. I'm not saying they would necessarily pot it or overbet the pot, but I think that something closer to half the pot is probably a lot more commonplace. And, you know, given the fact that we're in a $28 tournament, I expect players to typically not go too many levels. Like, well, if I bet really small, Clayton will think that I am representing a six, but I, I really don't have one. I don't really think they go to that point. I think that if they want to rep the six, they bet big. And if they actually have the six, they bet you know, big as well. So I kind of didn't buy the sizing. And for that reason, I decided to float the turn and see what happens on the river. And so now with 14,400 in the middle, the river comes the king of diamonds. 
for a final board of Queen of Clubs, Six of Clubs, Five of Hearts, Six of Spades, King of Diamonds, Queen, Six, Five, Six, King, and no draws got there. Villain bets 3,600 into the 14,400 pot. So he is not polarizing himself unless he's trying to do some kind of, you know, bizarre leveling war with me. This is either a blocker bet of some sort, maybe with a five or some other very marginal hand that he just doesn't want to check and get blown off of, right? So again, if he had a six or any kind of monster hand, he should be betting bigger. The problem for me is that if he's bluffing, he should also be betting bigger. He's going to have a lot of value bets on this board, and I think that he should also have a lot of bluffs for the same reason. Remember, guys, the more value bets you have on a given board, the more bluffs you need to have at the same time. And if it's a board where you won't often have a value bet, you don't really need to bluff. So this felt to me like a five or maybe just kind of a marginal hand, maybe a desperate bluff. I just didn't really put him on a monster. I'm not seeing too many players bet very small on the turn and the river on ACR with a monster in the $28 buy-in range. So for all of those reasons, I decided to release the Kraken. I put in 25300 Remember, the opponent just bet 3600 25% of the pot again, into the 14400 pot. So this is a huge raise. So at this point, I'm really representing a hand like pocket kings, maybe pocket aces. I might play pocket aces this way against a big blind on the paired board. I just don't expect him to ever show up with a good hand here. Maybe a decent hand, but not a good one, and definitely not a very good one. Now, a really great player is capable of betting a quarter pot on both the turn and the river, holding the nuts. But I don't think this guy is likely to be a really good player. I don't know him. I've never seen him before. And I decided to try to push him off of whatever he had by making it 25300 And again, this is very early in the tournament. Might even feel like a bit of a kamikaze mission <laughs> to some of you hearing me describe it. But yeah, that's what I did. And I'm happy to say that Villain folded. But you can't have everything, and that means I don't know what he had because he did not fold face up, which, by the way, you can do on ACR. What do you guys think about this creative little bluff raise on the river with a modicum of showdown value and no blockers to anything? <laughs> what do you guys think of, about that? I, I felt a little weird doing it, but it just felt right at the time, and I've thought about this hand a few times since then, and that's why I wanted to introduce it here on the podcast. I always welcome your thoughts on Twitter at Clayton Comic. All right, let's do one more hand from the same exact tournament. Uh, the blinds are now 600, 1200 with a 180 ante. We're at the exact same table. We are under the gun, which again at a six-handed table is the low jack, right? Because you're only six max here. So I'm under the gun. I've got the ace of hearts, 10 of diamonds. Now at a full ring table, especially a tough one, I usually fold this hand, uh, but yeah, your six max, of course you have to play ace 10 off from the low jack and I make it 2,400, just the minimum. At this point in the tournament, we had 180,000 in the stack. Uh, the hijack folded and the cutoff, who is extremely loose aggressive, uh, over 50 hands. He's been very aggressive I and mean, he's only 50 hands, but 
I'm telling you guys, he's running 38-24 <laughs> with a 15% three bet and a 3.0 post-flop aggression factor. Now, these are his HUD stats. I use Hold'em Manager. I know a lot of you guys are poker tracker fans. I don't think it makes much difference, to be honest. But on Hold'em Manager, 3.0 PFA means that the ratio of bets and raises to calls post-flop is 3. Now, a normal range might be something like 1.8, 2, 2.2. You know, 2.3 is probably about where you're starting to get a little too wild, right? There, You have to be aggressive to win, but there is definitely such a thing as too aggressive. And most of you think that thing is me. But my PFA is not anywhere near 3. I think it's around 2.2. So anyway, that's just a little insight there about some of these numbers. But anyway, this player, again, he he is running 38-24 with a 15% three bet. He makes it 7,800. So he three bets me off of a stack of 130,000. And then it folds back to me. And I have the ace-10 offsuit. We've only seen this guy for 50 hands. But from what we've seen so far, he's a wild one. So I don't really want to call and try to outflop him with ace-10 offsuit. I decided to put in the four bet. Oh yeah, I make it twenty-two thousand, and I'm expecting to take this down a lot. Anybody who plays that many hands and three bets that often is very likely to have just a garbage hand that he's three betting just to see what happens and if he can take it away from me before the flop. Now that I've pushed back, I'm expecting him to fold a lot of the time, and to my chagrin. He calls. So now we are going to play an inflated pot from out of position. And all we have is the Ace of Hearts and the Ten of Diamonds with 46,200 in the middle. The flop comes. Ace of Clubs, Eight of Diamonds, Six of Hearts. Well, you know, I think I mentioned this on last week's episode. Typically, if I've put in a four bet or really even a three bet, but especially a four bet before the flop, I'm betting my full range on the flop uh, the vast majority of the time. You know, I'm showing strength. And then whether I hit that board or not, I typically want to represent strength. Players don't really know how to handle themselves when they are playing in a four bet or five bet pot. They just don't get into those situations that often. And one reason for that is very few players nowadays like to play the pre-flop raising war type of game because there's such a high degree of guesswork in that type of game. I'm comfortable with it, maybe just because I've been doing it for 20 years. But yeah, I put in the four bet, flopped an ace. I've got top pair. I just bet the pot was 46,200. And now we do have the fear of pot commitment because uh, the opponent only started this hand with 130,000. So after calling the four bet, he's actually got the effective stack in this hand. SPR is under three. So here I've got top pair with the effective stack having an SPR under three. I'm pretty much going to go with this, especially given that there is a decent amount of empirical evidence to suggest that this opponent is one wild and crazy guy. So I decide to just bet 20000 and if he raises me or he does anything crazy, you know what? We're just going to end up playing a huge pot. I'm not folding an ace to a player like this. I bet 20,000 into 46 2. 
and my opponent folded. So obviously things got off to a great start in the first hour or two of that $28 PKO 6 max. I love PKOs. I like any kind of bounty tournament. And I like shorthanded because I do like to get in there and mix it up with what some would call uncontrolled aggression. That'll do it for this episode. Please let me know what you think of these hands, guys. Go on Twitter at Clayton Comic. Jump into the strategy section of the TPE Discord. Please come out and join us this Sunday. These free rolls are so much fun, especially if you really want to make it fun. You'll join us in the chat on twitch.tv slash killingbird for a true virtual reality multimedia gaming experience. So for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, and with special thanks as always to our extremely generous sponsor, America's Card Room, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart.